And with that, we welcome you back to another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, and over there is Andy Makowitz. Are you good, sir? I'm good. It's a rainy day, but guess what? Training camp, Adam. Training camp. Come on. Come on. Feel it with you. As um, as concerned as I was, and I think we both kind of have been over the last couple of months about what the NFL's plan was, or maybe lack of a plan. What I will say is that the NFL knows how to ratchet up their their situation. They very quickly put protocols in place. I watched the other day Joe Judge walk someone through the Giants facility and what their process is. They got those uh, you know those those two containers outside. You go in, you get tested, you get sprayed everywhere. It seems like at the very least the NFL has the resources to just be like. Let's go ahead and get ourselves geared up here. And so far, so good. There hasn't been a lot in the early portion of this week. There's been a handful of positive tests, but relative to the volume of players, it's been pretty good for the NFL. Yeah, and, and I was worried when college football, the Pac-12 the Pac, the Pac and, and Big Ten, uh, basically said they weren't playing football, and I thought that that was going to be the, the domino effect. But as it turns out, the SEC and the ACC and um, – the Big 12 are basically like, no, we're playing. Uh, it's just a matter of how many fans we're going to have at this point. Yeah. Um, and so that's encouraging for you know football season and makes me get even more excited about training camp, knowing that there probably is going to be an NFL season. Yeah, listen, and fingers crossed as the season really gets underway and teams start seeing each other and travel comes into effect uh, about whether or not we see any spikes then that'll be pretty indicative but at least in the early stages like you say it's been it's been more positive and far less negative around this so that's good news uh we turn our attention as we like to do to the giants and uh boy i'm gonna i'm gonna level with you i already forgot the other kicker's name the giants had they had they started out their training camp without a kicker and now they have a new guy in the door Yes, they had Chandler Canizaro. Ah, that's uh, my boy. <laughs> and he was signed for about a cup of coffee. Yeah. And then uh, the Giants recently signed former Carolina Panther Graham Gano. Uh, Adam, any initial reactions? Clearly, you weren't that married to Chandler. No, I mean, listen, it was a body. It was a body in there. I think you know we talked about this last time, where kickers and the perception of kickers are a lot different than it used to be. There's not these longevity in terms of staying with one team. It's really about trying to find a hot leg for a season or two and, and just kind of hang on to that. Listen, Gano's a veteran. Obviously, ties to Gettleman from his Carolina days. Uh, he's an 82 percent, you know, on, on his career as far as kicks go. He has a leg at 63 long. Uh, no, I mean, do you? Do you even do you even know for sure that this is going to be the kicker we go into the regular season with? I'm pretty confident that he's actually going to be the kicker, and you know, you, you very. Why not go there initially then? With, with what? Why not just sign Gano initially? Like, do you, do you like? Is there any reason behind that? Do you think? I, I mean, who knows? Uh, Graham Gano is Scottish, I believe. Maybe he I was back over in Europe, couldn't get over here, needed a warm body for camp. It, okay, it, you know. I, I haven't checked his Instagram page. I haven't been stalking him as much as I usually do to find these things out. But I think it was one of those things we got to get someone in camp. <laughs> just, just in general. For yeah, anyone listening. Normal stalking. Andy in general stalks, stalks Graham Gano. That's just kind of his – it's a hobby. Let's call it a hobby. I don't want to belabor it. He just loves to get deep dive on some Gano. You, you mentioned Graham Gano having a 63-yarder as his longest. It actually came against the New York Giants and was – the, the winning field goal in that game. I remember that game uh, vividly. And so there's a couple of different connections. The nice thing is, you know, the one thing that Rosas didn't really have for us was that long leg, that ability to, to feel confident that he's got the distance from 55 yards. 
we're kind of swinging in the opposite direction where we know Graham Gano has the leg. Um, you know, so for me, it's an encouraging signing. Uh, like you said, you're trying to find the hot hand. I, I like this approach, but how many more Carolina Panthers do you think Dave Gettleman can find? I, I know Jonathan Stewart, I believe, is retired. Julius Peppers is on a different team, but maybe maybe we could get the whole band back together. Is Steve Smith available? Like, you know, what's going on here? Welcome out of there. Listen, I'd be uh, on that on that point. I'd be more concerned if he was bringing in, you know, primary guys. Right. I mean, obviously, we brought in Bradbury, but you're talking about a guy in the prime of his career as opposed to the, the Jonathan Stewart signing that felt like a little bit of a uh, retirement care package from Gettleman to <laughs> to a guy who did a lot of work from that down there in Carolina. At the end of the day, what I do like about Gano is he's a veteran kicker, so you know what you're getting with him. And to your point, the odd thing about uh, Rosas was always that had a monster leg but didn't have monster accuracy when he used when he used the leg. So a lot of times some of those deeper kicks were really – I want to say that, and I, I'd be curious about this around like technique around the kicker position, right? It just feels like the younger guys have power legs, but don't necessarily know how to how to pinpoint that accuracy and really gauge how much leg do I need on this kick? How do I strike the balance between strength and also accuracy? So you, you feel like you know what you have in Gano, and it's just nice to have a veteran presence. Check that box, all things being considered healthy, go into the season knowing that you're locked up at that position. Uh, now, as the training camp has gotten underway, you you wouldn't expect this to be any different because anyone that comes out of the New England Patriots or out of the Bill Belichick coaching tree inevitably gets compared to him and they start to try to either build up the positives that they think that they have or usually the negatives. So early days here in training camp, Joe Judge is a bit of an authoritarian. He is certainly coaching the guys hard. He's brought back some practices that a lot of players haven't necessarily been familiar with since their high school days, and that's making mistakes and being forced to run laps. Around the NFL, uh, Shannon Sharp had a commentary on this. You also had, I believe, uh, Acho, the, the former linebacker, now retired, came out and said, uh, on behalf of everyone intelligent everywhere, I apologize for your 2-14 and 14 record this season. I have to go ahead and apologize. It's not your fault, Giants fans. It's not your fault that you've dedicated yourself to an organization that has hired a coach that is instilling imbecilic practices. I'm not sure if imbecilic is a word, but the practices that Joe Judge is instilling are so dumb that imbe- an imbecilic is the only word that will fit. That is the only word that will fit the crime. Uh, listen, it goes on on from there. What's the initial response to, to, just to the reaction around how, by the way, you know, we're, we're now on the third day of training camp and already the referendum is being written about Joe Judge. Well, in Acho's case, it's pretty funny that he talks about intelligence and intellect and then uses a word that he doesn't even know if it's a word in the same mockery. So, like, I feel like you got to really gauge yourself when you're when you're going to make a comment about it, right? If you're going to use a big word, just make sure it's in the Merriam-Webster dictionary before you do it. So that that's kind of my first take on that. You know, I, I think <laughs> big had, words should be real words, right? And Manny Acho, he he's uh, an interesting guy. You know, he had 22 career ta- tackles, was on the practice squad for most of his career. So I'm sure. He hasn't run laps in, in quite a while. Um, you know what? To be honest with you, everyone is making this such a big deal, and it's not. And, you know, I kind of, when I heard it, I rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, great, another Belichick disciple, you know, really putting that authoritarian uh, spin on everything. But to be honest with you, Adam, we have lacked discipline for the last, like, five years. Ever since Odell Beckham was here and, and running roughshod over kicking nets and proposals and all this crazy stuff, we were just an undisciplined team. So 
to be honest, it wasn't working the other way under McAdoo. It wasn't working under Shermer. So I'm okay with putting a little bit of discipline in, especially on a, on a team that's relatively young and you want to make an impression early. And you know what, what judge said about all this was, I want to make sure that we're not lackadaisical and that there are consequences for actions during practice. He's like in a game, you get a penalty, right? There's a, there's a consequence for what happens in practice. If you, if you hold somebody and there's a penalty, there's no consequence. So what's, what's going to stop you from doing it in the game. And I at least like that approach that like, it's not just like, pe- you know, penalizing someone just because you can, and you're the coach. I think there is actually something behind it. Well, so there's a couple of things too. Like, like on the one side of it, it's like you think about in you said training camp, you're in practice when a guy has a holding penalty down the field. Now I understand, right? Nobody wants to make the mistake. They're not trying to, but to me, it's like, well, barking at a player, you know, really, really giving them the, giving them the guff verbally after he makes a mistake. Like, okay. It, it, that to me, like the impact of that is all relative. Same thing about running laps, right? Like it's all relative to how the players respond to it. And to your point, when you've been an organization that has not been disciplined, and ha- I mean, not even just from players at practice or off the field, on the field, this has not been a disciplined team. Even in special teams, they've taken penalties over the years, even though it's been a strength for them in recent memory, right? A lot of false start penalties have happened. A lot of clock management errors have happened. And that, that comes down to the mental side of the game and, and being ready to execute the play on Sundays, as they like to say. So I, I don't have a problem with them riding the players a little bit hard. Um, I want to get into the Saquon Barkley piece here in a second, but I'll also say, remember, and this isn't, you want to compare coaches, you want to compare judge to someone, I'll compare him to Tom Coughlin, who came in and really ruled with an iron fist early in his career, still got results, by the way, positive results, and then over time, adjusted back, developed that 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 leadership council in the team, develops better relationships with a lot of the veterans and then help spread that message down the roster. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with coming in strong and setting a high standard and then going from there and making your adjustments as you learn your players and as you learn personalities. You're totally right because you, you can't come in as a lax, you know, laid back coach and then all of a sudden like throttle it up and say that I'm going to be Mr. Disciplinarian. You can always be more disciplined and then become a little bit more laid back as you, as you see, you know, what type of roster you have. I will say the, the other little note is that he did, uh, Joe judge took the names off the back of the jerseys, which mm-hmm. an, another football guy kind of move. I, every single former player is really upset because they they're like, we earned the name on the back of the Jersey. And, it, and it's just, it's such a, a childish thing to care about. And, you know, again, Joe Judge kind of made sense when he said it. he's like, we know who, who the names are of the players. We don't need the names on the back. What we want to see is that people like we, we see the player and not think about what the name is and just see how all the players are playing. You're not going to know every single player that's coming in and out uh, you know, against you in the regular season. So let's make it more like that. And when we look at film, let's see the players that are jumping out off the screen, not necessarily look at the name and see how they're doing. So, I mean, listen, like you said, it worked for, for Tom Coffin. It could work for Joe Judge. But again, we're, we're a couple days in. This team has lacked discipline. He's giving it a little bit. Can we just give it a rest? Yeah, and honestly, in that note, I like the idea of when you go back to watch tape, especially even for the coaching staff, because they talked about this too, about, well, your positional coaches, are they going to know who, you know, who's who and making sure that they're aware of these players and learning their names? Well, great. But when you go into film study, if you say, boy, look, this this player X really 
performed well over the course of this practice. And maybe it takes you a second to, to line up what the number is to the player. And then you find out maybe it's Darnay Holmes, right? And you're like, wow, he jumped off the page at us in practice today. And I may not have been as focused on him. I may have been looking at Bradbury and how is he looking? Or maybe looking at some of the guys in the secondary, like Xavier McKinney, right? And just allowing yourself to naturally respond to the player that you're seeing as opposed to have the name dictate. The last touch here that we'll bring up is they also said that Joe Judge was riding uh, Saquon Barkley pretty hard in practice, really getting after him. And again, this is another thing about like, are you overdoing it when it comes to your star player? Are you really, you know, what are you really accomplishing in belaboring the point about some things to Saquon Barkley? Um, you know, for me, a couple of things. One, Saquon Barkley said he likes it said that, that, you know, his mentality and his personality about the idea of he wants to come in and work and get better. So that's the result that you're getting. And, and also, you know, go back to me across sports. Uh, listen, I'll give you because I think Saquon Barkley is right. Arguably the best running back in the game right now. Michael Jordan benefited greatly from Phil Jackson and his approach to it. And, and, and having a head coach, you come and say, yeah, listen, I know that you can do X, Y, Z. The way that we as a team get to the next level is through this element of the game, is through you being a facilitator as opposed to a pure scorer in Michael Jordan's case. I don't know what the net result is and what he's going to say to Saquon Barkley, but maybe it is about when you're coming out of the backfield on a dummy play that is not a running play, it's going to be play-action pass for Daniel Jones, being committed to what that sequence looks like, and then getting your head up and picking up an extra blitzer off the edge. All those little details. I, I don't I don't take issue with it. I don't take issue with riding some of your best players hard. I think you're supposed to do that so that that standard permeates down the roster all the way to the 53rd man. Well, it, it, it's it's a simple equation for me. If it's a, uh, you know, you got to know the, the type of personality the player has. Saquon Barkley wants to be great. He wants to be coached. He always says the right thing whenever he's in front of the media. If you were to take a different type of player with a different type of personality or attitude, that's a me first kind of guy and ride them hard, then all of a sudden it's going to create some serious conflict. So I think this works fine for Saquon. I think it, should, you know, Saquon taking it on actually helps the rest of the team. Like you said, it, it's a it's a pure leadership thing. If it can be done to Saquon, it can be done to anyone. So for me, I'm I'm all fine with it as long as it's not tiring him out or injuring him he can run as many laps as he wants yes yeah exactly yeah and by the way no one no one typically gets injured running a couple of laps um now in the nature of joe judge coming in uh, hot and heavy wet and wild they did have a, a full contact goal line drill where uh cory ballantyne defending against uh mac the young uh, uh, undrafted free agent that we signed their wide receiver went to the ground and laid there for a minute or two before ultimately getting up on the cart rubbed his shoulder a little bit uh and, and was okay concerns around the contact there and concerns around it being specifically a player at at a very at a very key position for us listen training camp you cannot do all non-contact football drills you just can't because you'll never be prepared for the regular season and what it's like to actually get hit in the mouth so i, I think the idea is any contact drills have to be done with a purpose and i think that's what joe judge was saying here you know we're doing one-on-one -on -one drills because that's what it's going to be like on the outside of course, we cannot afford any injuries at the cornerback position. We're already short a couple of cornerbacks. Cornerback was one of our areas of need going into the offseason. So we cannot afford to have Corey Ballantyne injured or any of our cornerbacks at this point. It's good to see him get up. I have no problems with with them doing a little bit of contact one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you think, Adam? No, I mean, especially because, by the way, even it, it's a delicate balance because you are thin at the position. But the other side of it is – 
we're trying to find out what Ballantyne can be for us, right? He played in the slot. Obviously, we know about the injury that he suffered right after draft night, uh, non-football related. So he comes back. You give him a little bit of leeway there because it's hard to come back from an injury like that. Uh, but then he gets on the field. He doesn't play particularly well in the slot. There's some thought that he can maybe work on the outside because he has some length there as well. You need to know who he is. You need to know what he is. And uh, unfortunately, without preseason games, you have limited reps, limited opportunities to see your players. You're going to have to push them. And, you know, not 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 dissimilar in some ways, I guess, like I'll say, like Sam Beal, right? What was unfortunate about the start of his career for the Giants is that injuries and Sometimes that is something that that will plague a player, right? They're, they're just not going to be able to stay healthy enough to be on the roster and be a contributor. Now, again, non-football related for Valentine after the draft, but okay, little tweak here, right? Little twinge. If you can't get through the handful of contact drills over the course of training camp, then at the very least, it may be a signal that, hey, we're going to have to make sure whether it's this year or going into next offseason in the draft, we're going to have to bring in some more young bodies at this position. So, uh, you know, listen, you want to push these players and you also want to see how they respond to maybe a little injury, right? A little bit of a shoulder tweak. Okay. But he gets back up, gets back in the rotation, and you don't see him immediately go to the sideline. Well, speaking of pushing players a little bit, I'm excited about our man, Nick Gates. Adam, tell me what they're saying about our buddy Nick Gates. Kid is a bulldog. Uh, Listen, they get him in there at center. That's where he's starting out training camp, getting his reps. We've obviously talked about this. There's opportunities for him to plug in somewhere along this line. And because of what we know from Spencer Pulley's play, and then you have a guy like uh, Lemieux who needs to develop and come along, we anticipated the first spot for, for Gates to get a look to be at center. And the reports are, as I believe the offensive line coach said, alpha male when he plugged in there at center and when you talk about developing a relationship with your quarterback and daniel jones when you talk about continuing to, to to build the personality of this offensive line we already know that right next to him on his left is going to be hernandez who's been known to play with a mean streak and a chip we're already hoping that we're going to get real quality play out of thomas at the left tackle position so this is fantastic because even though gates played at both guard and tackle prior uh, for the for the Giants he hadn't plugged in at center yet so you weren't really sure what this was going to look like the fact that it seems like he's naturally fluid on this line plugged in and is looking you know pretty for, pretty forceful there that's the great first indicator that we can get that maybe we're going to have a starting center here that can plug in with Daniel Jones going forward at the start of his career yeah and and Colombo in addition to saying that, that Nick was was an alpha male also said and, and I quote he owns it like yeah. he he is taking this you know opportunity to start at center and he is running with it. He owns it. He's showing a little bit of leadership, you know, even at 24 years old. And to your point, I think we're starting to see the offensive line solidified to the point where if this continues with Nick Gates, we basically have four positions across the five offensive offensive line that you just set and forget and you don't even think about anymore. And yep. then that allows us to really have a competition on the right side if Pert starts to mature, if Fleming is there. You know, there, there's so many different ways that we could go about it. And then you have depth with guys like Shane Lemieux, just in case we have issues at guard or at center that, you know, might be able to step in. So for me, it's nice that we're starting to see the line be able to now develop together all as one and not, you know, go into the game one with like a coin flip of who's going to start and have no consistency. Yeah, even right now, if you said say it's going to be Fleming that starts at the right side, go back just to last year, right? 
total question mark at the center position. You had pulley, you had injuries, you had a lot of players getting thrown to the wolves there. The left side, we didn't know what that was going to look like, or we did, and it wasn't very attractive. Um, so now, you really, this feels like the slow build of the line over a couple of seasons. And to take a quick aside here, I you know, Gettleman is doing the thing that you want him to do since he came in. I know that some of the moves he's made are the flashy, judgmental ones that you can grab at, but this is the quiet thing that's happened in the background now where you have Hernandez, you pick up Thomas there, now you've plugged in. And by the way, uh, just back on Gates here, it's great that he's getting an opportunity from the word go to be the starter, right? Because as well as he played in spot starts last year, it was always the expectation that you're backing up the guard and tackle position. This is in case we need you, we can utilize you. Now they're saying, hey, guess what, buddy? This is yours. How do you feel? And he's really taking it and running with it. I wouldn't assume anything other than him just plugged in, locked in as the starter, and takes this thing the rest of the way. Well, and and think, you know, give Gettleman a little bit more kudos. I, I know we're, we're hard on him sometimes, but this is all coming right after Nick Gates signed a two-year extension on top of whatever his contract is this year. I think he's making like $800,000 this year. You know, an extra two years at $5 million a year. If Nick Gates proves to be the starting center for this team, like $5 million, if he's playing at, at league average or above, is is a steal for the Giants. And it really gives some consistency, knowing that Hernandez is young, knowing that Andrew Thomas got drafted. Like, you, you basically have this line set up for years to come, and we're not thinking – how are we going to plug every single one of these holes? We've already got it. We've got Nick Gates locked in. And if he takes this job and runs with it, like Columbo's saying, then we've got our offensive line at a really, really good price. And, and flexibility over the next handful of years when you need to sign and extend some of your position players. Obviously, uh, you're talking about Saquon Barkley in that regard. Uh, and even listen, even think about Darius Slayton, right? If he continues to grow and perform, you may have a little bit of money to put out there. So knowing that you're young and you've got two, three years at this line at a very reasonable price across the board is fantastic for the Giants. Let's turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball here for a moment, if we could, Andrew. My... Uh, my friend and yours, listen, nothing makes me happier than having been very bullish on this draft selection going back to last season. I loved it at the time. I love it even more now. Sexy Dexy. He's out there. He's doing his thing. And the reports are is that he's coming in a little, he came in a little bit slimmer here to training camp, a little bit more muscle on that mass there. Do you think that we can see maybe Dexter Lawrence starting to small samples, you know, just mix in a little bit of pure pass rush into his game on the inside of that line. I mean, it, it's certainly our strength, right? You know, our, our uh, defensive line is, is clearly far and away our anchoring position. And, you know, you look at the way that uh, Dalvin Tomlinson played last year, you look at where PFF has, uh, you know, pro football focus has uh, uh, Leonard Williams, very, very highly ranked. Mm-hmm. They have also our man Dexter Lawrence highly ranked. And that's after a, a great rookie year. He, you know, they, they talked about how he hired his own trainer over the offseason. They talked about how he hired his own personal chef to start understanding what he's putting into his body. You can really see a little bit of maturation from year one to year two, where year one he comes in, he's excited, he just wants to play on the field. And performed well. Now he's thinking, how can I maximize my talents and my abilities? And he's thinking a longer term of how he can be successful. I'm I'm loving everything that I'm hearing about Dexter. Yeah, and listen, th- this is what we talk about. Uh, we, we talked about this in the NBA, in the bubble, because you and I have been having a lot of great conversations around that uh, off-podcast about – 
the teams that looked the best there are the ones that had players who were committed when they were away prior to the restart and were looking to improve themselves, looking to work on their game. So, you know, listen, do we want to assume that every player, rookie or otherwise, goes out there in the offseason, looks to get better, looks to find areas that they can improve? Sure, we'd like to think that. But then there's the Chad Ochocinco's of the world who like to eat Big Macs on their way to practice. So you know you're going to get a mixed bag here. And it's just great to see that Dexter Lawrence took what was a very solid rookie season for him and then went ahead and said, boy, how can I build off of this? How can I get better going into year number two? Uh, Quickly here, I will say just as as a very brief aside, the Giants did also sign Dalen Mack coming off of uh, the Baltimore Ravens roster. They signed him, listen, just more depth at the defensive tackle position. And I think it's just nice because when you think about having quality there, you're starting to build, in my mind, this idea on the defensive side of let's be able to rotate guys, right? Let's be able to give give Dexter Lawrence a spell so he can catch his breath and, and be the most effective and get him in on the downs when he needed him to be the most dominant and really stuff the third and shorts of the world. So a player like Dalen Mack, listen, it, it's a depth add here. I won't say that I assume he makes it out of the training camp or not, but it's just nice to have another player in that rotation potentially for the Giants as we look ahead to the regular season, which is, by the way, uh, less than a month away, just in case anyone's wondering. We may have buried that lead at the start of this. We are less than a month away. September 10th is the official start with that Thursday night game for the NFL. I am excited. And what I am most excited about is our main man, Daniel Jones. The lightning rod in the media. They basically tell us that Daniel Jones was overrated. They basically tell us that they don't think he's going to perform well. You have... Acho coming out saying the team will be two and 14, but people around the team say Daniel Jones came into camp chiseled. He is looking svelte Adam. Talk to me about Daniel Jones. Listen, yeah, by all accounts, they've shown some side-by-side photos. I try not to overanalyze those just because I feel like the angles, you get the right, you know, all of a sudden it's like, boy, he looks about seven inches wider across the shoulders. Now that can't be possible. It turns out he was just wearing bigger pads. Um, but his, his his upper body does look more defined. His lower body, specifically in the calf and thigh area, looks much more muscular in the training camp uh, videos and photos that are coming out around it. I like it from a number, number of standpoints. Remember, he did have a little ankle tweak there last season. Don't know how serious it was relative to giving Eli Manning a send-off game. But you want you want to make sure that that one thing that carries over from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones is longevity, right? And being able to play and be there on a week-in, week-out basis. I think, for me, you can look at it from a couple of standpoints. You get a little bit stronger up top. It means that those deep balls can be get thrown with a little more velocity, still like his accuracy downfield, but give a little extra oomph on it if you feel like you need it. And then the lower body strength, for me, it is about, you want to have this be controlled, but it is about him being able to roll outside the pocket. And when he's going to get on the move and run a little bit, just having the strength to maybe knock off a cornerback coming for a leg tackle there and just give yourself an opportunity to be better. My, my, my bottom line is I just like, again, it's like Dexter Lawrence, right? I like that Daniel Jones stepped away from his rookie season and said, where can I get better? How can I improve? Let's get bigger. Let's get stronger. Not necessarily something that you saw from Eli Manning over his early career, right? Eli Manning was always kind of the guy that he was and it worked out fine. <laughs> Two Super Bowl championships, love it. But he never really changed his physique. Adam, I want to congratulate you. Thank you. You have officially made it. I know when we started this podcast, you said my goal was to talk about grown men's quads and calves. And you've done it with Saquon Barkley. You've done it with Daniel Jones. You have officially made it, my friend. How do do you feel? You know what? It was a long-term dream. 
You know what I mean? When, when I came into it, I said, listen, by the time I'm 50, 60 years old, maybe I'll get the chance to talk about a couple of grown men's thighs. But no, 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 no. I do it year two, season two of the podcast. I got thighs all over the place. And I I'm mean, looking for more, by the way. When you heard Daniel Jones was was chiseled, you just started rubbing your hands together and you said, this is it. I made it. Ah, baby pod. Uh, but, but I, 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 do, I do agree. I do agree with you. It, I mean, look, all these different things are encouraging. I'm sure every team has these little nuggets that they take away that they say, this player is looking to, to, uh, you know, be more, uh, conditioned this year. This guy had put on some, some muscle. Uh, but for us, it's encouraging when it's some of our best players, when we talk about how important Daniel Jones is, you know, we need him to improve on some of the ball security. And, and like you said, he did have that angle ankle injury. So, all of this is just an encouraging sign for the New York Giants this year. Yeah, that's all you want, right? You don't want to hear that Dexter Lawrence came in a little bit overweight into training camp or that Daniel Jones maybe looks like he's regressed in terms of his physical size. So like you say, it is true probably of all teams around this time of year, but still more positives than negatives. We, uh, by the way, with, with the fumbling issues and ball security, that's probably the other side of it too, right? You get stronger. That can just be that element of, you know, when you're tucking it away, just having a little bit more strength to, to be able to hold that in because you're talking about big bodies taking swings at that ball there. So that's that's probably should have been one of the leading points that I made there, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up. Eight, 18 fumbles last year, 11 were recovered by the by the defense, which is kind of a weird stack because it's fluky, like who actually falls on the ball, you know. Right. But 18 fumbles is, you know, he didn't also play in 16 games, so that's over a fumble a game. Obviously, some of the strength and conditioning that he did is to clean that mistake up. Speaking of stats, though, Adam, ah. I know that we wanted to put our predictions on the line, specifically about your thigh man, Daniel Jones. So talk to me about what you think and what your expectations are, and then give me some concrete stat lines. Thighmaster Jones, new official nickname. Don't worry about it. We'll be using it exclusively this year. Um, yes. So as we know, you know, it's year one to year two. It's going to be a new offensive system. We're looking at, at you know, Jason Garrett and how he's going to impact the way that this offense runs. Will they work through Saquon Barkley more? And relatively speaking, how is that going to impact Daniel Jones' number? Just to give the refresher course, over 13 games last year, Daniel Jones gave 62% completion percentage, really only 12, 12 full games, 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 INTs, and as you mentioned, 12 fumbles recovered. It says 12 fumbles here, but then recovered by the defense. So that's how they give that official number out there. Um, for me, you know, you, you, you try to just extrapolate this out beyond what, what's, what happened last year, and then you think about the improvements. The, the hard one for me when talking about Daniel Jones is we, we highlighted how improved we think the offensive line is going to be. I think that's going to help the run game a lot, and that's going to dictate a, a little bit in terms of what Daniel Jones' ceiling looks like, though. For me, the first one I'll look at here, and I think let, let's ping pong back and forth on these numbers. My first one is completion percentage. I'd like to see him kick that number up a couple of notches. I originally said if he got to 64%, that would feel, you know, like a solid improvement. I'm going to go that I want to see that number at, at 65% is the minimum threshold that I want his completion percentage to be coming out of this season. Where, where do you fall for there? It, you and I think very much alike. I, I have written down 64% or above, you know, 2% completion percentage. You have to think a, a progression from year one to year two He's going to see reads a little bit better. The offensive line is going to give him a little bit more time. Inherently, that has to improve the accuracy. 
Of course, we'd like to see it higher than 64, 65%. But from year one to year two, we have to also be pragmatic about where we think that, you know, this team is going to go. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I'd like to say, let's go for 70%. Uh, let's throw for 60 touchdowns. Listen, I'm talking about breaking records here, friends. When we turn our attention now over to yardage, let's have you let's have you stake your claim here prior to myself. Uh, again, through for 3,000 yards, essentially over 12 games, we can say. Uh, so when we think about that number broken down, you're talking about in the range of 250 yards per game last season. Where do you see him going total for the year? And then we can kind of you know know where that number goes on an average per game basis. Yeah, so I I kind of can I, I think, Adam, that it's probably going to be around the same number that he had last year, just because the line is going to be better, the run game is going to be better. I have it at about 255 yards per game. Mm-hmm. Um, that would put him right around, uh, you know, if he plays 15 games, you know, maybe there's one game he doesn't play. That would put him right around, you know, almost 3,800 yards. It would put him about 15th in the league, you know, according to 2019 stats. So I kind of have him moving up a little bit, but not as as much as some people may think, just because they were down. He had to throw the ball quite a bit and the line didn't help him out. They were always playing from behind. I think it's going to be a little different this year. Yeah, and that is relative, right? Like 250 yards a game, but there were opportunities where they got some yardage and garbage time, quote unquote, and we're trying to come from behind there. So um, it's going to be interesting. I'll be curious to see how, again, and we're going to get into those stat lines for Saquon down the line here, about because the running game is effective, then it allows you more opportunities for the play action to be that much more effective. Uh, I am looking for an improvement here. It's not a monster leap, but this is the difference of – uh, of hitting a, a reasonable mid-range throw downfield once more per game, or also maybe getting a couple of those key passes to a full 16-game Golden Tate, some of those little slant routes that, that lead to you know 7 to 10 yards. So I'm going to put them up there. I'm going to go for 270 per game. That puts them up at the 4,300 for the season. It, it is setting an expectation, right? Wow. It is raising the bar here for him. Um, but again, you know, relatively speaking, I'm only talking about making one more 20 yard pass or converting a couple of third downs. So I, I think in totality, the difference that I'm seeing here in terms of yardage is going to be if I expect him to have a higher completion percentage, then I expect him to have more yards, right? I mean, it just it, it, it's a like for like now relative to the running game and, and how they choose to approach the offense that could have an impact. But right now I'm looking at 65 completion percentage. 4,300 yards on the season, and then we turn our attention over to the touchdown-to-interception ratio, buddy. The juiciest of the juicy stat lines. Again, 24-12 to 12, uh, last year, so solid numbers in 12 games. Uh, the, the bigger concern, as we mentioned, was the fumbling, not necessarily interceptions. Going to get four more games. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, tw- so averaging two per game when you think about having 24 touchdowns. So, I'm not going to go full two touchdowns per game, but I'm going to get close. I'm going to get close. I'm calling for him to go 30 up, 14 down. So my thinking here is you get another four games. You're not going to maybe get two for every single game there. I think there's going to be some quiet ones, especially against quality defenses. You look inside the division, Dallas Cowboys for one. There's difficult matchups there, but I do believe that he can continue on that touchdown path. And then I think over those last four games and over 16 games really – He's going to bring down those interception numbers a little bit, right? Average an interception per game last year. Now let's bring it down slightly. I I still think you're going to see some of those errors and just, you know, not as good of a team that we hope they're going to be in years to come. 
And I'll, I'll think about year three about really cleaning up that interception number and getting it down to a sub single digits. How many touchdowns did you just say Daniel Jones is going to have? 30, good sir. 30. 30 touchdowns. That's right. Do you know that would be, according to 2019 statistics, fourth in the league? So you are saying that our man Daniel Jones will be top five in touchdown passes. When, I, when you combine the idea of Jason Garrett on this offense, even if you're going to be a run-heavy, you know, run, running's going to lead the way through Saquon Barkley. I think that Saquon Barkley is going to be effective out of the backfield. I think that Lewis is going to be effective pass receiver out of the backfield. And then again, I, I just think that you have a multitude of weapons. And as much as I've knocked him, Evan Ingram is another big factor in this. You're talking about the guy that has the best speed out of the receiving core. He's the guy that can work down the field and really stretch the defenses. So there's a lot of factors here. And I think that Evan Ingram, if he stays healthy, can have a really bounce back kind of year for them. And that can be what moves the needle from 25 touchdowns to 30. Well, I, unfortunately, I'm not as bullish. I still, I, I, I have to keep this, the integrity of the podcast intact. I know that you're just giving the listeners what they want. And that's why you're the fan favorite. But I need to bring everybody back to reality. And that reality is not that much different than you, but a little <laughs> bit more realistic. Um, as I said before, I have uh, him at about 255 yards a game. You have it at 270, which puts him about, I think it puts him like seventh or eighth in the league. Um, and then you have him in the top five. I have him just slightly improving on the amount of touchdowns that he threw last year. I have him having 26 touchdowns this upcoming year which would put him eighth in the league, which I still think top 10 is a very realistic number. So now here's my, my curiosity is, and I know you're about to tell us, but this is suspense. The interception number is going to be curious for me because I'm wondering if is your approach that he's cleaning things up. So it doesn't necessarily mean a big jump in touchdowns, but does it mean an improvement in the interception category? I have him going at exactly 10 interceptions. And so to, your, to your point, I do think that he's going to clean it up. We're talking about a rookie year, and I think we always like seem to forget that. It feels like because he threw 24 touchdowns and had a couple miraculous games that it feels like he's been in the league a couple of years. He is only in year two. I expect him to get better across the board, whether that's completion percentage, whether that's touchdown passes, whether it's cleaning up the mistakes because now he understands how to read defenses, whether it's because the offensive line is improved. If Daniel Jones doesn't improve in these stats, it's going to be the most – underwhelming and extremely disappointing thing for the New York Giants. I, I'm, I'm more worried about that than I am about the Giants record this year because I'm concerned about the future. And if he's not giving us a slight uptick from year one to year two, showing that progression, that's a problem. And, you know, I'm, I'm basically with my numbers, I'm like I said, 26 touchdowns still puts him eighth in the league. 10 interceptions is about 15th in the league in interceptions. So I kind of have him middle of the road in passing yards, middle of the road in interceptions. And the running game is going to take a little bit more of a focal point with this offensive line. Yeah, I, I hedge my bets with those 14 picks and saying you're still going to have growing pains. But, but to your point, this year number two is, is supposed to be about affirmation that he is the franchise quarterback. You and I may agree. A lot of fans may already think you have the guy. But when you come into year two, that's where you go, okay, great. You know, four weeks into the season, we go, listen, look at the little areas that he's improved on. And I think, as we, as we just reiterate here, I went 65, 40, 65 completion percentage, 4,300 yards, 30 and 14. Uh, you have him at 65, 3,800, 26 and 10. By the way, I would probably come closer to your stat line if I said completion percentage higher 
So if I'm in your camp, I, I go, let's talk about 66, 67% completion percentage. And then not necessarily a big jump in touchdowns, but also eliminating some of the big plays where you're thinking maybe, you know, high risk reward, maybe some more interceptions. So you're talking about, you know, not game manager, a little a notch above game manager, but that's where you can look to have that balance and then say, let the running game lead the way for us in a lot of these situations. Yeah. Well, well the one thing that does concern me that I really want to see improve, and it's a number that we didn't really discuss, but it's, you know, uh, you know, average yards per completion attempt. Mm-hmm. And when you look at where Daniel Jones is, he's in the bottom five of all starters in the league. I believe he was at 6.6 yards per attempt. And, that's concerning when you got have guys like Matt Stafford throwing for 8.6 or Patrick Mahomes at 8.3. You know, mm-hmm. that just it's one of those weird statistics where Daniel Jones needs to improve. And I don't know how that number is gonna change this year because you'd think he's getting smarter, he's gonna take the passes that are in front of him, but also we need him to stretch the ball down the field. So it, it's it's a weird stat that I'm really curious is you know how it's gonna progress this year. Yeah, eight, eight, eight plus yards per attempt there for Mahomes. And that's impacted, though, right? By if you have four big bomb 55 plus yard completions to Tyreek Hill, all of a sudden, all of your numbers get changed by that. And listen, and Mahomes in that offense is obviously moving the ball in deep downfield consistently, regardless. But that, you're right, though. That's where it becomes a little tricky to try to say, well, how can you see that get to seven and a half? You know, I mean, listen, you, you got to connect on a couple of deeper passes throughout the course of a game. And the other thing about this overall, too, is remember, some of my numbers I'm thinking about, it's like you said, you want this thing to run through the offense, yes, but there's still going to be games where they're behind, right? This defense is still going to be in flux, so you're still going to be looking at it and saying, uh, how do we get to this place w- with Daniel Jones where he's improving, improving, and then also don't put him in a spot where late games, he's going to have to push it. There's going to be some late drives trying to get back into games, and the success or fail rate of those drives will dictate, is it 250 or 270? Is it 30 or 26 in terms of a touchdown? What, what I'm really bullish on, and, and I kind of asked that question just because I had to think about it when I was putting these stats together. I think that his yards uh, per attempt was down in the sixes because he just didn't have enough time God. to be able to let the receivers run downfield and run their routes. And I'm bullish on the idea that with this new revamped Nick Gates at center and, and Andrew Thomas at left tackle, that we're going to give Daniel Jones a little bit more time. A hundred percent. Yes. So that, and that's really, the, that's the caveat to all of this improved offensive line play makes everything better. And then everything timing, right? Timing expectations, knowing where people are. And then let's go real quick as we get out the door here on what's been just a jam packed, juicy podcast uh, over under 10 fumbles for Daniel Jones this year. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's under 10, but I'm going to go over. Cause even, even if he has 12 fumbles, it's still an improvement from, from last year. So for me, I'm going to go slightly over, uh, but let's hope that, you know, the off season conditioning and sveltness that Daniel Jones is showing in training camp is going to bring that number down tremendously. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I've been going glowing on him here. I'm going to say under, and again, if the offensive line play improves, there's a handful of those fumbles yet last year that are purely on the fact that the offensive offensive line is collapsing. You're getting hit from both sides. And then also when he got out of the pocket and was running, that's just awareness, right? And being ready to tuck that ball away and protect against what is a quicker game than at the college level. So I'm going to go sub there in, in that regard because I think that he'll improve in that way. And if he does that, again, it elevates everything else. Let's give one little bonus one to the fans here. Rushing yards for Daniel Jones. This is this is an interesting caveat with Jason Garrett coming in. We know, work with Dak Prescott, not the same type of mobile quarterback, but two quarterbacks that can certainly run. 
Where where would you set the over under line at for total yards for Daniel Jones rushing? That's a great question. You know, last year Daniel Jones averaged about 22 rushing yards a game, I believe, and he had about 277 rushing yards. It's tough because I think he ran a little bit out of necessity last year because the line was 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 getting pushed back. So it, it's it's a weird thought. Like I do think he has the ability to use his legs more. You know, Dak Prescott in, in Dallas with Jason Garrett showed that he does have the ability to use his legs when needed. But also, like if he has more time in the pocket, he's not going to have to scramble and try to get those yards. So I I think he's going to be right in the same range. I, I don't think there's going to be much of a difference uh, on my end. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the same and, and say about 22 yards a game. All right. So then 22 yards a game, you do it over the 16. You're talking about 350 rushing yards for Daniel Jones on the year. Again, this is another area. And listen, I'm willing to down the road, look back at this and say, boy, either from a positive standpoint, the offensive line was playing so well and the receivers were in such a good rhythm. He didn't have to run as often as maybe we would want to, or that they just didn't design it that way. But I I also think designed runs as opposed to running out of necessity is going to, is going to have a big difference in the way that he uses his legs coming into this season. I don't want to overstate it. I thought his mobility and when he did run, he really did look effective in that. And if they do some of these designs, even going up the gut, sometimes when you open up what is really a, a running lane, right? Think back to his first game where as the, as it broke down around him, he ran up the gut there against Tampa Bay to get that rushing touchdown. So um, without going too bullish, and I've bounced around on these numbers uh, uh, previously, I, there was a point where I wanted to put him up near, you know, even up near 35 yards per game. And, and just to put it in context, it's the idea of saying, if you have a scramble or two per game that gets you five to seven yards, you're already getting into 10 to 15 yards there. And then maybe a designed run that gets you that 10 to 12 yards. That's how you push up into the 20 to 30 range. So I won't go too crazy here. I'm going to actually just put it at 30 yards per game and see if it grows from there. I'd like to see. So if I was going to set the over-under number, I might go high. Like at 30 yards per game, you're talking about 480 on the season. I wouldn't be shocked if you see him up over 500 up over 500 yards by the end of the year. And it's going to be interesting, though. This is probably the curiosity, right? We don't know inside of Garrett's offense – behind a better line, how much does Daniel Jones need to move and, and how much will he use those legs? And I, I do, I, I think about Patrick Mahomes in that way, right? It's like, if things are going really well, you don't need to, but as the, as the defense rushes back to cover all those routes, all of a sudden the, the, the green grass is in front of you. This was the least surprising uh, number that you gave to me. It was the rushing arch for Daniel mm-hmm. Jones because of that affinity for those thighs and those quads. Well, uh, listen. Uh, as I said, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't coin that nickname that I've already forgotten by the end of the episode for nothing. Uh, we'll, we'll have to. We'll have to reiterate that. Was it Thunder Thigh Jones? That wasn't it. No, it was Thighmaster Jones. Oh God, that's so much better too. God, <laughs> when you when you coin a gem like that, you're supposed to just put it right into the into the steel trap vault that is my mind. The problem is the vault is locked, and I forgot the combination. We're gonna get out of here. That's a good stat line. So we're listening. We're talking about both of us are positive on Daniel Jones going into year two. It's just a matter of, of what does this offense look like and how do they choose to execute? And really, ultimately, too, how, how many games are we in, right? If we're in games and they're tight, you can afford to run the ball later into the fourth quarter as opposed to needing to come from behind. So hopefully it's maybe closer to Andy's stat line because it means we're in more games and we're really actually trying to win more games as opposed to fight back into them. You can.
follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. You can also head over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled. Download, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And of course, check us out over on Sportscaster, where we just live stream this episode. And we're popping in with updates, with news, with notes, with trivia. It's all there. It's all for you, friends. And as Andy Makowitz wants, needs, demands you to know. Let's go Big Blue. Man. <laughs>